Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 31. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here again today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Hey, Van, what's up? Hey, Laura, things are well. How about you? How's things in your part of the world? Doing very well, enjoying some more weather. We talk about that every time, I guess, but in Texas, it's a big deal. You know, it is. I I just got a a great email or a message uh, just recently from uh, the the gentleman that came down and spent some time with us uh, here in in Texas from New York. And, you know, sadly, he was complaining. He said, man, I wish I was down there with you guys. It's already getting cold up here. So see, I just feel so blessed to be down here sometimes. It's just, you know, granted, we deal with the heat, but man, it it does our bones well if you're if you're one of those types of people that don't deal well with a cold and I'm one of those guys. Yeah, that's for sure. And so what are we going to talk about today on Ride Every Stride? Well, Laura, there's um frequently when I'm when I'm talking to folks about their horses, I'm always trying to get them to think of, you know, making it easy on yourself and making it easy on your horses and uh and to learn things and to do things and to experience things. And um, a lot of times as I'm conveying that message to people, I think of a story about my mom. And, and I, I don't know if she listens to my podcast. <laughs> my mom, is, is she's more technically challenged than I am. So I really doubt if she's going to go to the trouble to try to figure out how to listen to a podcast. But when we were little, or when I was little, and um, we had kind of a pretty good-sized cattle operation, and my mom always had the undaunting task of having to operate the sorting gate. And for those of you who don't know what a sorting gate is, it's the guy that stands there and he's got all these other cattle running cattle at him. And that person has to be yelled at and cussed at and, and shouted at, let this one out. No, keep that one. Let this one out. No, keep that one. And uh, oftentimes my mom would have the cattle coming at her so fast at times. And, and that was our fault, of course, for pushing them on her too quickly. And uh, one day we had a fellow helping us. And as the cattle were rushing my mom, she inadvertently let go of the gate. And all the cattle go out the wrong gate. And very jokingly, the guy that we had helping us said to my mom, said, you're just like water and electricity. Those cattle know to take the path of least resistance. And it was just, at the time, it wasn't funny to my mom, of course, because she was kind of cussing us from pushing the cattle on her too quickly. But the rest of us just died laughing in, in thoughts of that. But to make matters worse and to kind of rub salt into the wound a bit, sometime later, he sent us this cute little plaque thing that he had painted a beautiful little animated picture of a very stressed out looking woman operating a sorting gate in the cattle pens. And of course, cattle running at her. And of course, down at the bottom of it, it says the path of least resistance, just like water and electricity. And so every time I'm thinking of making things easy on your horses, I think of that little slogan, water and electricity to always take the path of least resistance. But there's also something to be learned from that. And we, we think about it, and it is a very, very true statement. Water and electricity always take the path of least resistance. But what if we did things with our horses the same way? In other words, whatever it is that we wanted from our horses, what if we could create a scenario to where whatever we wanted was that path of least resistance so that the horses very easily took that path without effort, without really thinking about it? 
And we, as horsemen, could challenge ourselves, quite frankly, to think far enough ahead, think about what it is that we want, and set things up so that our horse can easily choose that path of least resistance. Because in their world, in the horse's world, it's pretty much, well, an animal world, period. Animals generally take the path of least resistance. They don't. They want to get from point A to point B the easiest and most efficient way they possibly can. And yet we think about some of the things we're asking our horses to do. To them, it may not be perceived as easy. It may not be perceived as something that's an easy task to achieve. So we then have to kind of work a little bit harder to kind of set things up so that whatever we want from the horse, it's easier than the alternative. So only all it takes on our part is just kind of thinking ahead and setting things up a little bit, uh, just like, you know, sending those cattle at my mom. You know, how you operate that gate is that you, you make the path that you want the cattle to take the easy path, and then the path that you don't want them to take the more difficult path. So that's, that's kind of what I wanted to visit with about today and kind of go into that a little bit more detail. And that makes total sense to make it easier for the horse to do what you want them to do and more difficult for them to do the thing you don't want them to do. But can you give, I'm trying to kind of picture this, can you give an example of what you mean by this, how this would apply, you know, out there working with my horse? Absolutely. We're going to do this in a couple of different ways. You know, uh, even though we think we ride horses a lot, most people that do claim that we ride a lot, we really still spend about uh, 85% of our time with our horses on the ground. So I'm going to discuss this first from from just being on the ground. And and if we're on the ground, let's say we want our horses to move to the left. In other words, our left. We're facing our horse. The horse is going to move to his right. We're going to send our horse to our left. It would make sense then that if we would apply pressure to the right side, our right side, the horse's left side, then the horse then would feel that pressure on that side and want to move away from it. So that's just as simple as it is, really. is just nothing more than just creating some sort of discomfort, some sort of resistance, some sort of situation on the opposite side that you want the horse to go so that the horse will seek out the, the path of the other direction, of the opposite direction. So it's, well, it's honestly just that darn simple. It's just we just simply want to add some sort of resistance, some sort of discomfort, if for the lack of a better term, but some sort of resistance to the opposite side while at the same time opening up the other side. You've talked about that before, that horses will move away from pressure. And I can't remember what episode it was where we talked about what you mean by that pressure. So you're describing a situation where the path of least resistance is away from whatever pressure you're creating, but you also, I think I heard you say, it's not just enough to create the pressure on one side. You've got to open the path to the other direction. Absolutely. I want to give a couple of other analogies here and other scenarios. For example, let's say we're sitting in a round pen. The horse is up against the rail and we are standing dead center in the middle. That would be the case. My question would be, where's the path of least resistance? And there is none. If we're if the horse is against the rail and we're dead square in the middle of the round pen, we've not created a situation for the horse to make an easy decision as to where the path of least resistance is. But let's say, for example, the horse is on the rail and he's facing to our left. And if we took a couple of steps kind of back a little bit more toward the horse's hindquarter, and then if we were looking at the situation from above as if we we're looking down onto a piece of pie, 
we would notice then that we would be closer to the rail and to on you know kind of behind the horse and all in front of the horse is a much more open area for the horse to travel so then we could realize then the path of least resistance is for the horse just to move to that more open area and that's exactly what i'm talking about in fact whenever i'm doing a round pin presentation i tell everybody that is the absolute first thing that i teach the horses is to always seek the path of least resistance the burden on me, though, of course, is to position myself in such a way in the round pen that the le- the path of least resistance and the more open area to move to is away from me. Mm-hmm. If he tries to turn around and come toward me, the distance between me and the rail is much closer. So for him to go through that area is a path of resistance. So it'd be a little bit more difficult for him to come through that tight spot than it would be just to simply turn around and go to an open spot. Now, a lot of times anybody that's ever worked with horses, oh my gosh, Van, that sounds so easy, but I've had horses try to run between me and the rail before. Sure. So if that's the case and the horse begins to think then and disrespect us to the point where I don't really see you as being an obstacle, therefore you're really not any resistance, and to prove it to us, they keep coming and then what do we do? We get out of their way. So then the thought that the horse had is that we are no resistance. We just solidified that in the horse's mind because he says, I can run over you if I need to, because I know you're going to get out of the way. So we really offer no resistance there at all, do we? So here's the challenging part uh, for us, and that is to offer more resistance. In other words, if we need to wave our arms or hoot and holler, do in other words, do whatever it takes to make that horse reconsider that thought that coming between us and the rail now is a much more difficult task than what they had originally planned. Hey, maybe Van's not going to get out of the way. Maybe I can't run over him. Now, you and I both know that the horse is much larger than I am, and we know that he really could run over me. And that's the part sometimes that's a little bit tricky about the horsemanship, and that's that we can't allow him to ever discover that. If he ever does discover that he's bigger, stronger, and faster than us— then after a while, they could very easily do with us whatever they wanted to. So there's times that we just kind of have to fake it. We've got to act bigger than we really are. We've got to create more resistance. We've got to wiggle our arms or do whatever it takes, get that horse to realize, hey, this is not a spot that feels comfortable to me. Where is a more comfortable spot? Hey, I know, maybe I'll turn around and go the other direction to where that side of the round pin is much larger, much bigger, not any resistance that direction. So that's what I'm referring to. Intellectually, I know that's right, but as a woman who's five foot four and in a round pen with a horse, that I and maybe it's a lack of confidence on my part, but when a horse is running toward me, everything in my body screams, "Get out of the way!" Sure, and you know, and that's absolutely normal. And there, and we, no matter what that situation is, I the last thing I'd ever want to tell anybody, just stand there. You know, because if if you just stand there, there is that likelihood that the horse will just run over you. Uh, so we, we do have to realize that, wait a minute, well, there's a calculated risk here. And I'm always telling everybody, you know, look out for yourself. You know, just if, if you realize, oops, this is not going to change and work out for the better, then by all means, protect yourself. Get out of the way and then regroup. Set the situation up a little bit better. Maybe let the horse... If he if he's dead set on going to the right, then reposition yourself and help him go to the right and then master going that direction for a little while and then set him up a little while later to go back to the left. But maybe be even more obvious, maybe even get further behind the horse. Now, obviously, far enough behind him that you can't get kicked, but still get far enough behind him 
closer to the rail. In other words, opening up even more of the arena the other direction. And as a result, any kind of resistance at all behind him might make the horse take one or two steps forward in the direction that you want. In other words, if we realize that maybe I wasn't obvious enough the first time, maybe that path of least resistance wasn't obvious enough the first time, maybe I can make it bigger the second time. Maybe I can open it up even more so the horse will be more willing to go that direction. So that's just something for I want folks to think about. But, you know, I totally understand what you're saying because I've actually worked with people in the round pen with me before and the horse was coming right at them and I done darn sure didn't blame them for jumping the heck out of the way. You know, because I mean, that's that's a self-preservation thing in, the, uh, in all ways. I tell everybody, your safety is more important than anything else. So always look out for your own safety. And intellectually, I think what you're saying, the point of kind of making yourself bigger and there's whole, oh my goodness, there's like whole TED Talks about taking up more space in just in the human interactions. But certainly in this situation, I think what you were saying is, you know, like waving your arms and stuff. You're basically trying to make yourself bigger and more of a visual obstacle to the horse. Absolutely. And sometimes it can be really subtle. For example, one of the biggest things that I have people ask me about is, man, I'm, I pet on my horse and then I want to stand back and maybe carry on a conversation with my friend. Let's say it's just you and I talking, Lauren, and, and uh, you've pet on your horse and then you're going to stand back a little while and you and I are going to carry on a conversation. But then you notice that the horse steps toward you. And as that horse steps toward you, you're thinking, I didn't really want the horse to come any closer to me, but unfortunately he did anyway. And uh, so what could you do there? Well, a lot of times if you were talking to me, maybe you'd be turned sideways to the horse instead of facing the horse. But now if you looked at yourself sideways, as opposed to looking at the horse, you facing the horse, just your appearance alone looks bigger. You look like more of an obstacle there. You look less receiving than when you're standing sideways. So when you look at the horse and you stand square to him, as subtle as that sounds, all of a sudden you you just got bigger in their eyes, you see, and, and nothing more than you're just kind of blocking it. And if you think about it, if you were you know going toward a wall, it's easier to glance off the wall going sideways than it is to just crash the wall going straight at it. In other words, there's there's more resistance running straight into the wall than there is running off to the side. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. But anyway, Laura, so like it's, if, if you could just imagine like running head on into a wall as opposed to glancing off the wall by going at it at an angle. So whenever we're looking at the horse and we're standing square in front of it, that sends a very subtle signal to the horse that, number one, we're not as welcoming and we look bigger. So in a, in a more subtle way, that's another way that we can just use our body position on the ground to send that message to the horse that, hey, we are not the path of least resistance here. You know, we're, we're offering some resistance. But of course, in the round pen, it's, it, we, we, we can reposition our bodies in such a way that, that we're really opening up one side of the round pen and we're really making the other, the other side of that round pen much smaller, so to speak. So we want the horse to take that path of least resistance. And I tell everybody, whenever you're, and especially when I'm working with, with kids and young folks that really want to be really good cult starters, I tell them always, that is the absolute foundation to everything that comes down the road. In other words, the more of a performance horse that we're training, in other words, the better we want our horses to respond to us, the absolute foundation of that is teaching the horse to take that path of least resistance. It just comes in to be so much more helpful later as we go. And um, so I, I always emphasize, you know, really, really work hard to think ahead and to set yourself up into a situation that where you want your horse to move needs to be in an area 
that is the path of least resistance because it it really comes back to to be much more refined later. And so you've talked about how we do that on the ground, kind sure. of where we where and how we position our body. How do you do that? Uh, once you're in the saddle, because obviously I can't, I'm not going to turn and make myself look bigger to, to make the horse signal to the horse where I wanted to go. How does this principle apply once you're in the saddle? Well, very much the same way, but yet, like you say, now we're, we're on this, we're in the saddle. So what do I want my horse to do? Let's say, for example, I would love my horse to kind of maybe drift to the left a little bit. So we're going to work, you know, we're riding our horse in a straight line and we want him to move to the left. Okay. If I want him to move to the left, then obviously there needs to be a gateway for the horse to go. So if I'm sitting on him, I've got equal pressure with both legs. My legs are just kind of relaxed, you know, on his rib cage. And if I want the horse to move to the left, then what if I just kind of shifted my weight just ever so slightly onto my right hip? And I took my left leg off just a little bit so that there's a little bit of space between the horse's rib cage and my leg. And at the same time, I slid my hands to the left. So now the the right rein is resting against the horse's neck, and the left rein is slightly off the horse's neck. And then I would ask, where now is the path of least resistance? In other words, yeah. there's there's nothing. Yeah, because there's nothing touching the horse's neck on the left. There's nothing touching the horse's rib cage on the right. But yet there's something making contact on the on the right side. So the after a while, the horse feels that the open door just might be to the left. There's no guarantee he's going to go that direction, but the path of least resistance is where? To the left. And that's where we want him to go. So we just have to think in terms of what do I want a horse to do? Well, I've got to kind of open that door. And another, and I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but here's a, another analogy I'm going to throw out there. Imagine again that you're just pushing cattle down in an alleyway and there's these sorting pins, these pins coming off the alleyway. In other words, there's a pin to the left, there's a pin to the right, and let's say you want your cattle to go in the pin to the left, okay? You could push the cattle up and down that alleyway all day long, but if there's not an open gate, is the, are mm-hmm. they ever going to go in that pin where you really want them? You can hope and pray and wish and do all those things that you want to do all day long, but unless there's an open gate, they're just not going to work their way into that pin. Unless, of course, you force them through the fence, right? We can, And you can do that. I've seen people do that, too. But wouldn't the easiest thing to do maybe is just open the gate? And again, even with an open gate, there's no guarantee that the cattle are going to go through the open gate. But at least with the open gate, it's much, much easier for them to do so. Now, if they don't go through the open gate, then we can, and here's the key of riding, and here's the key of working the horses on the ground, we have to position ourselves in such a way that the cattle can find the open gate and that the path of least resistance is through the open gate as opposed to in the other areas, you see. So that's what we want the horses to do. We want to open those gates and let those horses take that path of least resistance. That makes total sense to me. I mean, I'm I'm flashing back on some of the lessons that I had with you in the past and the struggle that I had at various times where I wanted the horse to go a certain way and I was putting the opposite leg on or kicking or whatever, but not making that connection of, well, okay, if I want him to go to the left, yeah, I can press on the right, but I've got to take the left leg off. I've got you know, to give him somewhere to go. One of my best memories is with the, I think it was the very first time you ever rode my gilding scooter and you were, and I told you at first, just get on him and ride him. And I, in fact, I think I was just trying to 
lighten up the moment a little bit. And I said, there you go, Laura, ride him like you stole him. And, and you, you got on him and you just started trying to just walk off. And you were wanting to go in a straight line. And yet I remember you looking at me really funny going, why is he going to the left? And at first I'm thinking, you know, why is he going to the left? But I'm behind you now and I can see. But if you remember because of the situation with your hip, you weren't sitting in the saddle properly. I mean, you, you were sitting in the saddle comfortable for you, but Scooter didn't know you. Yeah. So Scooter doesn't know to compensate for your handicap, so to speak. So as a result, all he knows is that he feels more pressure on his right side than he does the left side. So being my He's horse been and taught, right, he knows being, what that being means. exactly being my horse and me training him, I've taught him from the very first time I ever worked with him to take the path of least resistance. So he's probably thinking, I don't know what this lady wants, but there's no resistance to the left. I'm going left. And you, on the other hand, you know, probably because I'm telling you, Laura, just write him in a straight line. And you're probably thinking, I am, I'm trying to, but why is he going left? But until I got behind you, I didn't realize why there was that situation. Now, because of your handicap, though, you couldn't take your right leg off of him anymore because you were kind of stuck in that position with him. So what we had to do then was we had to get you to actually add more pressure on your left side to equal it out. Once it was equaled, where's the path of least resistance? Straight. Straight ahead. Yeah. Straight ahead. So that's kind of what I'm referring to. And then again, we just have to compensate sometimes. And we also have to think ahead about what it is that we want and then position ourselves, position our posture in such a way that it makes it easier. You know, and again, there's no guarantee. It just makes it easier for the horse to take that path of least resistance because that's a that's why Mother Nature programmed them in the first place, you know, that to take the path of least resistance. Well, and I love that reminder too that it's that there's there are those two pieces for it. You know, create the resistance in the area you don't want them to go, but also don't forget to open up the path to where you do want them to go. Sure. I mean, there, there's so many lessons to be learned from that. Oh yeah, <laughs> not just on horses. Right. Isn't that the truth? Well, here's another thing I want people to think about, too. There is that burden that we have to put on ourselves. You know, you know, we live in America, the land of plenty. And if you ever looked on the back of an aspirin bottle, let's say you got a headache and you look on the back of an aspirin bottle or Tylenol, ibuprofen, whatever your choice of drug is, but you look on the back and usually it's going to say something like this, for adults, take two. But yet we live in the land of plenty, right? So if two is good, then four is better. <laughs> You know, and, and if you're really a big macho guy, you know, you're not going to settle for four because, hell, my wife drink takes only four of those things. I'm going to take six of them tonight, honey. I've got a really bad headache. So, in other words, if, if two's better, then four or six is even better still. Well, you got to be careful. If you're trying to apply that same type of logic with your horses and said, hey, you know what, Van, I was listening to this Van Hargis podcast, and he said, if I want my horse to go to the left, I'm going to take my left leg off. My horse is not really getting the message, so we're going to take that left leg off a lot. And before you know it, they're leaning so far to the right and the left leg is off. Sounds good, doesn't it? Man, you really did a good job of making the left the path of least resistance. The problem is, look at your positioning. If the horse did take a really hard turn to the left, you're you're in such a position, you're probably just going to fall right off. You see, so you got to be really careful that you don't over apply the cue. You don't over apply because actually you can get in the horse's way by overdoing it. And I don't mean in the way as in blocking them, but now they are having to compensate for you. Or if you're riding a really young horse and you lean out that far and you take that leg that far off of him, you might spook him. You might scare him. You might get a little bit more than what you're asking for. So I want to caution people that even though I'm saying these things, you know, to make yourself bigger or to 
take your left leg off and add your right leg. Don't do it excessively. Just do it to the point to where your horse feels that is the path of least resistance. And then from then on, you just simply ride or you just simply execute some sort of action to get the horse to do whatever it is that you're asking him to do. Oh, there's a, a lot of things to think about there. Um, and the, the subtlety of how it can be done is what strikes me. And maybe because I've watched you in action and I've seen how subtle those cues can be and still get get the result that you're looking for. But there's a lot to learn, Van. You bet. And, you know, and the thing, too, with that, Laura, you know, we have to think, I, you know, I'm always putting the burden on people, you know, think about what it is that you want and see that, if you will. And when I see that, I also want to encourage people that as you're seeing that and as you're kind of in that experience and you're going through the process, in other words, you know, I, and I use this a lot, as you're in that mode of ride every stride, in other words, you're in the moment, right at that moment, and you're thinking about things. My question to people is, is that are you seeing what you want? In other words, are you, are you visualizing it, what it is that you want? Is it working out the way you want it to? And that reminds me, you know, you remember the old cliche, I've heard it a thousand times, right? Well, is that glass half full or is that glass half empty? Yeah. And the answer is both. Yeah. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? It really is. It's, if it's, you know, if it's dead center in the middle, by golly, it is. It's both. It's half full, half empty. How do you choose to see it? So whenever I'm asking someone to think about setting your horse up, thinking ahead, thinking about what it is that you want. And you do all the right things. You offer him that path of least resistance. At that moment in time, your cup is half full and it's half empty. How do you choose to see it? Let's say he does exactly what you want him to do. Then by golly, that's a very good thing, isn't it? You got what you wanted. But let's say he doesn't do what you want him to do. How are you going to look at that? And how you look at that will determine what's going to happen in your very immediate future. Because see, if you look at that as a negative thing and you're, you're dogging yourself going, you know what, I didn't communicate that very well. Or, you know, I'm just riding another one of those really stupid horses. He's just not getting it. But if you look at it in the sense that, you know what, maybe now I know what to do the next stride. Maybe I need to add more resistance or maybe I need to open up the gate a little wider. So in other words, how do you look at that situation? Are you looking at it as if it's just a pass-fail type situation? Or are you looking at it as a living, breathing moment in time that you're getting to experience to find out whether or not it's working for you. And and if it is, give yourself and your horse a good pat on the back. And if it's not, just reevaluate and go back over it one more time until eventually you'll see that whatever it is that you're asking is going to end up with the result that you want. And it's very important that you visualize what you want beforehand and then set yourself up and set your horse up to take the path of least resistance, just like water and electricity. Yeah, I think that's such great advice to really focus your attention on uh, imagining your mind, picturing your mind, what you want, and keep that at the forefront as you make whatever adjustments you need to make to um, to create that path that you're looking for. Absolutely. Yep. <sighs> Lots of stuff to learn. And it doesn't matter where I am in telling this story and, and going through this process of taking the path of least resistance. I still can't get that picture out of my mind about my mom working that gate and her, unfortunately, being the path of least resistance. <laughs> but I tell you, I love my mom to death. She's put up with a lot over the years, uh, everything from the cattle to the horses, and um, just been a remarkable mother over the years. I wish she did listen to my podcast. I'd like to hear me brag about her every once in a while because she doesn't get that enough, I'm sure. 
Well, yeah, which is a good reminder for all of us. I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I need to tell my mom that too. So. <laughs> We're having a Hallmark moment. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right, well, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot more that can be said about that. We'll talk about it more in the future, but uh, I'm guessing listeners may have questions or, or thoughts about the things you've talked about today. And so if you're listening and the things that Van has said have brought up questions in your mind, I know he'd love to hear them and have the opportunity to answer them. There are a lot of ways you can do that, but um, consider visiting the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post a question there or a comment about this episode or a story about your own mom or <laughs> you know, whatever has come up in your mind as you're listening to this. If you have questions or comments that you'd like to share with Van privately, you can email those to info at vanhargis.com and he'll be sure to respond to those either in a future episode or directly to you if it's something that warrants that. I know he loves the feedback from listeners. It's how he decides what to talk about in future episodes and how to kind of direct the program going forward. So on that point, if you enjoyed this episode, if you're liking the podcast, it's still really relatively new in podcast time. We'd love it if you'd help spread the word about Ride Every Stride. And the two main ways you can consider doing that are, first of all, tell a friend. If you've got friends at the barn or friends you know, where you ride who like horses and who might benefit from being a part of this conversation, show them how to subscribe to the podcast. And uh, while you're doing that, if you're in iTunes, consider leaving a review of the show there. It's very easy to do if you find the show in iTunes and you can click on the tab to rate and review. Just a few sentences about what you like about the show can go a long way toward helping the show become more visible in iTunes so other people can find it, but also give that feedback that Van really wants to know how what to cover in the future and whether what he's talking about is on point for you. So your feedback's important. You're helping us share the show uh, is really valuable to us trying to think if there's anything else you can find you know information about the podcast and about what van's up to on his website at vanhargis.com and uh, so you can you find the show notes there and that sort of thing what else is new van how are things going with the top hand club the top hand club is going really well we've already gotten some good positive responses from it and i'm really excited about it but of course i want to keep inviting people to go and and consider the Top Pen Club, we have people that want to buy everything from my halters to my saddles and, and a lot of the little things in between. And uh, But I want to say this to start with too, Laura. People go to my equipment and they think, well, okay, what's the secret? What's, what's the big deal with Vans equipment? All right, and here's going to be the big news, folks. Nothing. My equipment has no IQ. It has no uh, ability to, to train your horse for you. The difference in my equipment, I guess you could say, is that it's just tried and true. It's stuff that I believe in and that I use. And um, what's the relationship between that and the Top Hand Club is that if anybody wants my stuff, whether it be a halter, bridle, bits, and things like that that I use and that, that are tried and true items for me, they can get those at a very significant discount with the Top Hand membership. The Top Hand membership alone is only $4.95 a month. It's just a phenomenal deal. Another part that's good about that Top Hand membership, Laura, is the fact that they've got access to our library. We've downloaded a boatload of videos already. These are little short video clips that are very helpful. Everything from how to adjust your head stall, which bit to use in which situation, picking a saddle. I mean, you name it. We've got a lot of videos on there already. 
And we're constantly shooting more videos and we're uploading more videos as we go. We, matter of fact, just today, we're going to be adding, I think, another 30 more little short video clips. So I really want to encourage people to go there, just explore, take a look and let us know what you think about that. And as a further incentive for it, I think it's kind of neat. There was a videotape or a DVD that we did a long time ago that I would not allow to be released because it had a couple of mistakes on it. But if you join um, the, the Top Pan Club for $4.95 a month for the first thousand people that do this, they get to download that DVD. It's called Bit by Bit by Van Hargis, and they get to download that DVD at no cost additional, no additional cost whatsoever. And then the cool thing is if you can find those mistakes that are on that DVD that were the reason that I did not allow the DVD to be released, then you can buy the the another DVD series from us, the entire series, for half off. And that series is Training the Versatile Ranch Horse. Even if you're not into ranch horses, the training on there is very applicable to almost everything that we do with our horses. Everything from you know walk, trot, lope, and understanding the cadence and the rhythm of those, all the way up to some pretty darn advanced maneuvers as well. So um, I just think it's a de- it's a great deal, and we're so excited about getting it launched finally. And we've already had some people signing up and doing it. So it's just a really cool deal, and I really encourage people to go to our website and just click on that button, if you want to call it that, that's on our website that says it's kind of an invitation to join the Van Hargis Top Pan Club. I promise it'll be worth their while to do so. Yeah, I have no doubt. So those of you who listen to the podcast, who enjoy getting this content that Van puts out, for free to help you with your horsemanship. This, and maybe you'd like to work with him more directly. And obviously that's always an option. Uh, if you're interested in having Van come to your community uh, for a clinic or some sort of event that you have going on, definitely email info at vanhargis.com and talk to them about getting Van into your community. But not everybody can do that. And uh, he can't be everywhere at the same time. And so he's worked really hard to put some of his best content together and make it available exclusively to those who become members of the Top Hand Club. And if you want to get in on it, uh, you know, at the ground floor, now's the time. It's only $4.95 U.S. a month. Uh, it's not going to stay at that price forever, folks. And so now's your chance to get in at that level. It will stay at that price for you as long as you're a member of the club, as long as you keep your membership active. And he's going to be continuing to add more content. But this is where you find these video tutorials that you can see him demonstrating how to do some of the things that he describes on the podcast. So an, another way to take advantage of the the knowledge and the experience that Van offers and uh, I encourage you to check that out. Go to vanhargis.com and look for the button regarding joining the Top Hand Club and take advantage of it while it's still such a great bargain. And I think uh, that was all we had to talk about. Van, anything else you wanted to say? I just want to say a big thank you to you, Laura. You know, for those listeners that are out there, Laura is, um, I, I'm very humbled that I get an opportunity to do a podcast with you, Laura, because of the fact that, you know, you're very, very successful in what you do with your own podcast. And for those who uh, might hear mine, I know that 85% of the people that listen to uh, podcasting, especially horse-related podcasting, are women. And you, in fact, have a phenomenal podcast called The Productive Woman. So I'd love for our listeners to take a listen to that, and hopefully they'll see some parallels with some of the stuff that you teach and some of the stuff that I just barely, barely touch on. And uh, I, I think that, I think it's just phenomenal. I, I, I know I'm not a woman, but I listen to it myself, and I really enjoy it. 
Uh, <laughs> um, so I just kind of w- drop off the woe part and think the productive man and try to try to use it in that term. But, yeah, um, it's there are no great female secrets in there. Men are welcome to listen, <laughs> but my target the, the the people that I'm mostly talking to are women. But guys are welcome too. But thanks. Well, I, and I'm very humbled to, that uh, you. you Bless us with your abilities, and I really appreciate it, Laura. And also, I want to do a shout-out, too. We have a great producer, and um, shout-out to John as well. Um, so, I, honestly, we couldn't do it without you guys. So, everybody, keep listening, and, and keep listening to Laura, and keep listening to our producer, John, put together and make us all sound really, really good. We're really proud of that. But, uh, I, Laura, I guess that's just it. So, I just want to kind of end by telling everybody just how much we appreciate them uh, listening. We do very much want their feedback. Um, but most importantly, I just want everybody to to get something from the podcast. So help us continue to deliver a really good podcast for them by giving us the feedback so that we can talk about those topics and those subjects they really want to talk about and they want to learn about. So with that said, I'm going to close today, Laura, and I'm going to, have to remind everybody that it's your ride, it's your trail, and it's your journey. So ride every stride. Mm-hmm.